If you're like me, you love and miss that golden era of Christian music. From the Jesus music of the 70s, the monster vocalists of the 80s, and the creativity and risk-taking of the 90s and early 2000s. I'm Andy Chrisman, and for the past four decades, I was privileged to be smack dab in the middle of this crazy and beautiful thing that we call CCM. As a member of the group for him, I got to know so many great people with even greater stories. And I don't want to keep these stories to myself. That's why I created One Degree of Andy, so you can join me as I reminisce with my friends and colleagues. My hope is that as you experience these conversations, you'll go back and listen to that golden era of music and fall in love all over again, just like I have. This is the One Degree of Andy podcast. This was one of the most unique and entertaining conversations that I've had yet. Lisa Bevel went from singing national commercial jingles to becoming one of the most sought-after studio singers in the country. And oh yeah, did I tell you that she had a great career as a CCM artist as well? I know her journey will surprise and inspire you as it did me. And I intentionally left in some of our outtakes because they're awesome. And I didn't mute her coughing because there's a remarkable story behind that too. This is why I started this podcast, to sit down with artists like Lisa and hear some fascinating stories. Before we get to that, I want to say hello to Xavier, Steve and Lori, Terry, Dana, and Wilma, just a few of our new premium subscribers who get early access to episodes, exclusive video content, and member-only episodes. If you'd like to join them, just follow the link in the episode description. It's super easy, and your support helps us continue to produce great episodes like this one now. On to my conversation with Lisa Bevel. There are some female vocalists that I go back to in the glory days of Christian music. So when I say the glory days, what are we talking about? Like late 80s, mm-hmm. early 90s to me. Well, I mean, that's my era, so I'm going to call it the glory days. And there were several people on the radio back there. Kim Hill. I remember Leslie Phillips. I also remember Lisa Bevel. And the songs that you created, the sound that you created were were so fresh and i mean it was good you know and there there was a lot of christian music that wasn't good (laughs) but yours was exceptional and i'm just excited to hear your story today uh we talked a little bit at a don cook's oh yeah thing and uh, that that's come up on several of these podcasts in fact i've even had don on the on an episode and um uh, it was just great to connect with you again and hear you sing again. You sounded amazing. Oh and, no, I didn't. Oh, you did. <laughs> Don't. Okay, this is what this this is what this conversation is going to go toward. I'm 62 now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not far behind you, but I'm just here, even with cough drops in your mouth and yeah. the threat of Sorry, coughing, folks. and it's yeah. okay. We're. I, I'm just excited to hear your story. To just have this time of conversation with you. So welcome to the One Degree of Andy podcast, Thank Lisa you, Bevel. It's Appreciate good to have it. you here. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's just talk about your career. I want to know how you started, what got you here to Nashville and got you into the Christian music industry. Well, okay. So I grew up in Franklin since I was five years old. And that's, so I'm so that's, that's we said, it's like It's like nobody ever grows up in Florida. I know. Right? <laughs> Nobody grows up in Nashville. Yeah, but my family moved here when I was five, so I kind of grew up here, and I grew up in Franklin when it was the hickest place to be from. Yeah. 
I mean, you were considered a country girl if you grew up in Franklin. And of course, now it's, you know, I, I couldn't afford to live anywhere near Franklin. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to know how you started your music career. Okay. So how, how I kind of got started, I followed a bunch of my friends to Belmont College, which is now okay. a university. Yeah. It's a very common story around here. Dan Huff, Gordon Kennedy. Oh, wow. Joey Muscao. So we all, we've all known each other since junior high. And um, some of those guys, um, Joey Muscao, Gordon Kenny, they were part of a singing group in college called the Belmont Reasons. And we did a pop show and a gospel show. But our group was a PR group for the college. Yeah. Like we worked in the recruitment. Mm-hmm. You get scholarship for that too, right? Yeah. Actually, yeah. Little bitty tiny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but you also get a great experience out of it. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. But so so that the reasons came to my high school and I went, oh, there's Jelly, oh, there's Gordon, there's Kim, there's, oh, oh my gosh, I have to be in that group. <laughs> I have to do that, you know. Um, and I was just singing in my church youth group prior to that, you know, very shy, very intimidated. Um, but, I, you know, they said, hey, yeah, you should come and audition. And I auditioned and I got into the group. And then I was there for, I did the five-year long yeah. college experience. <laughs> <laughs> but it was through working in that group that gave me invaluable experience. I mean, like, we had a pop show we would go do in the high school. Fully choreographed with mics that had chords. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was, now, that's a skill There's set. No- this generation will never know no. is how to navigate those chords yes. so that you know where what you who you just wrapped around and Oh yes, while yeah. you're clogging and mm. while you're dancing oh my and gosh. you're in Jackson, you know. That's incredible. Moves. Yeah. Anyway, but then we would go to churches and we would do a full gospel show, uh-huh. you know, with complete cha- you know, church clothes and so and then we also recorded several albums for the group to sell at concerts. So then I had recording experience and that kind of thing. Um, But that's kind of what led me into the industry. Now I've been singing, I say semi-professionally since about 16 years old, I worked at a music publishing house doing secretarial work, but then I would go sing on the demos for Don Schlitt, who wrote The Gambler or JJ Kale, who wrote Cocaine. Sorry, can I say that on (laughs) the You sure can. (laughs) Anyway, so I saw a lot of, Love the world, but I, I learned how to be a professional singer, you know, and anyway, but being in the reasons and traveling and doing all that led to people. In fact, Wayne Kirkpatrick was one of them. The music business students mm-hmm. would ask me to be, so they had to do a production project on an artist, like pretend like they're a manager, right? you know, go through the process of taking pictures, record three or four songs. And pretend like you're an artist, you know. So at that point in time, I'm like, okay, they're not going to pay me anything. So I'm going to ask for a copy of the demo. And then I started building my reel from that, you know. And it sounded professional. And But then just, you know, one thing leads to another. You kind of meet people here and there. And then I entered the whole professional song demo world with the songwriters. And then that went into jingles. And that was exciting. Yeah. That was an exciting time. Yeah. Uh, jingles that i would have to say there's one thing i i'm sad i didn't get to do in my career was jingle work and i i felt like i would have been good at it yeah it would have been fun 
it, it's, a, it's more pressure than I've ever felt, even being an artist, because there's so much writing. Like, for example, I think there, I did a Wrigley's Double Mint gum commercial, and it was almost a year in the making where, you know, we're talking to Mr. Wrigley in Chicago, and there, I mean, it's a huge ad agency, wow. and, you know, just tweaking little things here, changing the lyrics. Okay, you sound too country. You know, you got to sound more pop, and then they're changing the music. So when that when that account finally was okayed, they wanted a complete resing, mm-hmm. and I was sick as a dog. Oh no! And I went to I went to the voice clinic, and I talked to my ear, nose, and throat guy, and I said, "Okay, look, there's a lot of money riding on this. My future, like it's on the card, it's residuals, it's in every market. Like, help me." He goes, okay, I'm going to put you on a steroid pack and I'm going to give you a yeah. shot in the behind, mm-hmm. you know? That was the thing. And we'll see. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go get that steroid shot. Yeah, but so so the pressure, you know, of that kind of thing was, and then trying to be a chameleon with every different ad, like they called me one time, said, hey, we, we're doing a Bisquick commercial and can you sound like a 12-year-old girl? I said, well, sure I can because I've just learned, tell them you can do anything and if they don't like it, when you get there and you try, then you try. So these are yeah. national ads. Oh, yes. So national I've, accounts. I've, so I've heard you yeah. on television. Can you Double, double your refresh, uh, refreshment. Double, double your excitement. Oh, no single gum. Double fresh in your mouth like. And that's, and I, and I will say. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My mind is blown right now. And I used to be the Stanley Steamer girl forever. Call 1-800-STEAMER. No. Stanley Steamer gets your heart. Yeah. No, that's you? That ran for like 14 years. <laughs> I still hear it. Yeah. Is that still you, the, the same one? Um, I bet it is. You, you it's, know, well, it's interesting. Since COVID, they like got rid of all the happy, happy, glad music and just turned into, we can clean your carpet. And get the vomit no, off I, the floor. No, I still hear the. If you're not getting, if you're not getting residuals from those, I still hear those Stanley. That same Stanley. No, Stanley I'm commercial. not. That that's another whole story. Okay. Yeah, but we won't go yeah, in. Okay. Maybe we will. <laughs> I might incriminate myself <laughs> with that one. Let me check with your attorneys first. But then there was a whole. Then there was a really a whole huge Toyota car campaign. Yeah. Where I sang a jingle for every one of their cars. It was. Ride with the best Toyota. And then it was, okay, for the race car, you got to sound like, ride with the best. You know, just <laughs> so with every car, you know, it was, yeah. and so it was like 14 different cars. So wow. That was really So nice. were you with an agency? Had you signed like a deal to do a bunch of them or was it just, just callbacks? It was, it was, yeah, it was just different companies that I had worked for throughout mm-hmm. the years. Were you kind of like a first call person that they would call to come in and, I don't know if I can claim myself to be first call, but yeah. I worked a lot. I mean, like every day I was on something different, yeah. whether it be a jingle or song demo or singing background on people's records. Um, I don't know. You know, it's kind of like when a new fresh voice all of a sudden appears in the market, everybody wants that right. because they want to add another voice to their reel, their catacall reel mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. Well, we got this girl and we got, the, you know. Right. So, they want to have all the options. Yeah. So yeah. God really blessed me with, you know, lots of opportunities. And then, you know, after a while, when you are changing colors for every ad, for every product, every agency, you go, I, I don't think I know who I am. Interesting. You know? Yeah. 
So when it came time to sing Christian music, like I did not want to sing Christian music. I had no interest in it at all, mainly because I didn't know it existed. Growing up in Franklin, my only conception or knowledge about music was on Hee Haw. Oh, interesting. You know, just yeah. just think this is this is before computers, y'all. <laughs> you know, um, that's all I knew of music, and I really didn't know that it was happening in downtown Nashville. I uh, lived in Franklin, yeah. and you know, you know, I grew up in Waco, and had no idea that Word Records was based there. Oh wow! And I I used to drive by that building all the time as a as a teenager, and want go I'd see Word up there and go, I wonder what that is. And no idea that Amy Grant and Michael W. and all those guys were were coming in and out of there every yeah. every month. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, just coming out of the whole pop world and kind of wanting to sing pop music, like, it, and at one time, do you know who Randy Holland is? I don't. He used to have Bullet Recording Studio, which was a huge studio, and we also went to Belmont together. Um, but he... At, at the time, pr- like prior, like as soon as I graduated from college, like I wanted to pursue a pop thing. Like that's just what I wanted to do because I didn't know this other world existed, you know. And I didn't feel called to it. I feel like you have to be called. So, like, I'm not feeling that calling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I know what um, you mean. So, so we were doing a project. I was getting ready to move to Los Angeles. Were you married at the time? Nuh-uh, no, I didn't get married till eighty seven. Yeah. This was like eighty four. Okay, and um, so I was looking. You know, I was looking to do this this pop thing, and um, where was I going? <laughs> <laughs> you weren't called to Christian music, yeah. So you're trying to figure out what what to do. You're trying to find yourself. Yeah, it's an interesting thought because I remember Michael Amardian one time he was working with, and I cannot remember this guy's name. He's passed away now, but he was like the number of oh, Danny Gans. From Las Vegas, and Another he was name. like the number for a long time. He was the number one. Um, what Rich Little does? Uh, um, oh, like a impressionist. Yeah. Impressionist. Yeah. And uh, they hired. He hired Omar to do his solo record. And it said, Omar said it was the hardest thing to try and find his voice. Yeah. Because every time he'd launch into a song, it sound like Frank Sinatra, or it sound like Dean Martin, or mm-hmm. it sound like Sting, or it sound. He could do everybody, but they couldn't find his voice. Yeah. And then he said that was the hardest thing to do. When they did, it was, you know, like this glorious thing that they all rejoiced over. Yeah. But I can see where that would be an issue for you. Yeah. Yeah. And and I will say, too, I mean, I'm kind of flip-flopping around here a little bit because I didn't get into, I mean, I was in the jingles for a long time, but the uh-huh. bulk of it didn't happen until after I was married. But um, the whole pop thing, like. We had an investor. I was going to move to LA and do all this kind of stuff. And then right in the middle of that, I get a call from Dan Huff and Dan goes, Lisa, what are you doing right now? And I said, "Uh, I'm just sitting in my room. And he goes, how fast can you be on a flight to Los Angeles? He said, I've got an audition for you for Sergio Mendez. And I can't promise anything. I don't know what's going to happen, but you need to get out here as soon as you can. I said, well, okay. And I'm like, in Los Angeles, like, where am I going to stay? Da, da, da. And so, so I end up going to Sergio Mendez's house. I mean, do you know who Sergio oh, is? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Your listeners are going to go, who legend. is that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that a Mexican restaurant? <laughs> um, Don't call yourself a fan of 80s music. You that's know who right. Sergio Mendez is. So, so I went to his house 
and he hands me a cassette and he he hears me. He you know, he said, here's the lyrics. There's yeah. a song I want you to learn. Be at the studio at this time. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing here? You know, so I go back. I, was, I end up staying with a girl that I knew from Nashville. And um, so I, I go back and I'm learning it. And so the next day is the session, right? So I'm thinking, I'm getting ready to audition. So before we, before I ever auditioned, I said, okay, guys, let's gather around. We're all, we're all, we're going to sing backgrounds on these two songs prior to the girls auditioning. I'm like, girls? Oh, I'm competing against someone else who's actually here that I'm going to sing with. So anyway, so I'm like, okay, I can do this. Just breathing deep. And then all of a sudden I hear people say, hey, Mike, what's going on? You know, and I see this gray hair and I'm like, Michael McDonald. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then Saida Garrett walks in. Saida Garrett wrote, mm. Man in the Mirror. And yep. then she had her own hits. Um, and then there was Joe Pizzullo, who is the voice of Sergio yeah. Mendes. Never gonna let you go. Um, yeah. Yeah. We just heard that on the way up here. We we're like, oh my gosh, that's such a, yeah, such a great song. So then we end up singing background on these two songs together. I'm like, oh, shit. Wish somebody could take a picture of me right now. I'm standing right next to my Anyway, so then we break for lunch and Dan comes to the studio and he goes, Are you keeping your cool? And I said, He goes, Just relax, just relax. So the other girl goes before me. Now, this other girl, I couldn't tell you her name, but she had just had a close up toothpaste commercial. Yeah. Is that the name of the brand? Close yeah, up. Yeah, close up. I remember. Close up. Yeah. Uh huh. And she was phenomenal. Like I could hear her through the door. Like she was wailing. I'm like, well, I'm gonna get my stuff and I'm gonna go home. <laughs> so then it was my turn, and I did the first verse on the chorus. And they said, okay, that's fine. Come in. I'm like, oh crap. Yeah, I'm done. So then I I stand over the the counter and I'm looking at Sergio and I'm looking at whomever else. I think Peter Wolf the songwriter it was his oh, yeah. song oh really yeah, yeah that so we uh, peter and ina Wolf, yeah peter yeah. ina yeah yeah ina ina okay. yeah yeah so <laughs> peter produced uh on two records for us wow yeah oh, and we got cool. to go we got to go to austria and actually meet ina and <laughs> they were divorced at the time but and still on really good terms and we went and had dinner at her house and i mean she wrote some great songs wow. back in the day see and i oh, you know goodness. like I read credits, but I don't always remember what yeah. the credits were. Yeah. Um, <coughs> yeah, but, she wrote, she wrote, Sarah, Sarah. Oh, wow. Storms are brewing in your eyes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Wow. Anyway, I hijacked. So, no, Keep that's going. okay. So, they're all sitting there, and I'm just like, I'm waiting for them to tell me, yeah, you're fired. Get out, you know, kind of thing. And they just said, yeah, it's going to be really great. You know, gosh, you know, just, they're just kind of talking amongst themselves. And I said, I said, what's going on? And they said, you got it. You sound great. Y'all sound so good together. And they're already, they're like, we're going to do a video. You and who? Me and Joe Pizzullo. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sorry. So it's okay. So yeah. So, so one of the songs that would be the song that I would sing on, it was a duet with Joe Pizzullo and it's called, what do we mean to each other? Uh-huh. And, um, and I was like, you know, Sergio goes, you really need to move to Los Angeles. You know, I could put you to work. There's so many things you could be on. You know, you're this, that, you're that. Um, so when I got home, about three months later, I had heard that everything kind of blew up 
because, okay, I'm not going to remember his name. Who is the drummer, singer, kind of baldish, English? Um, um, Phil Collins? Uh, yes, Phil Collins. So Phil Collins, <laughs> Phil Collins. I'm, and, just, I'm just glad. I'm so glad that you, <laughs> that you went, that you described Sorry, him like that involved. instead of the greatest songwriter <laughs> of the 80s and part of Genesis, this balding drummer. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm going to be skinned alive by all musicians. Anyway. <laughs> but so Phil Collins, and I think her name was Marilyn yeah. something, mm-hmm. had that song. Yeah. Um, that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's, it's, it's right here. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's uh, uh, Separate, Separate Lives. lives. Yes. Oh, we got it at the same time. Separate Lives. Yeah. And so they were telling me the subject matter is real similar. The lyrics are similar. You're blonde. She's blonde. And we're going to can the whole thing. Oh, but then, wow. but then unbeknownst to me, the song was released and climbed the Billboard charts to number 18. And I never knew that for years. How is that possible? Well, because, and here's, here's something else too. So being an after member, you know what a Taft Hartley is. Yeah. So a Taft Hartley is like your very first gig. Like you're lucky enough to get a gig and it's going to be big. Oh, but you're not a member of the union. Mm. So since you're not, you get to sign a Taft Hartley. You can sing on it. And those other people are clear because they didn't hire an after member. Right. Yeah, right. Oh, I so wish that I had joined the union right then and there. Now, I, you know, I was sitting in the studio and he was like, Sergio's like, oh, and you're you just in- like, you're just like on cloud nine. Yeah, I'm like, I'll you do know, whatever you want me to do right now. I don't yeah. know what this means. Right. What do I, you know, so not one penny, oh, not so- one bit of residuals. I got paid the session fee, but no residuals. And I'm mm. like, man, people have taken that song and they've made all these videos out of them, like for their wedding and their you know, memories of hearing that. And I'm like, golly, dad gammit. Oh well. my God. You know, we all, I think we all have so many near misses like that in our lives. And, you know, it can drive you crazy to look back and just go, oh, if I just, if I just, yeah. if I just, we had a situation where our song, the only thing I need, um, that was on the, um, on the streams project was we were really good friends with Jim Caviezel. Oh wow! And he would like ride our bus, and you know, just I mean, we we journeyed with him through his all of his early films, and he was making <laughs> Frequency, and uh, we had he had he had we'd always send him our music when we were finished with it, and he heard the only thing I need and took it to his director, and they loved it, and they wanted it to be the closing song for the movie Frequency, and he he called us, he's like, yeah. It's it's a done deal. We're we're sitting here weeping oh, as we're man. watching the end credits and hearing that song. And the one of the producers of the film was really good friends with Garth Brooks, and said literally as they were Darn watching it, it as they were the watching way. one of the the final edit, <laughs> they walk in with Garth and said Garth's got a great song that would. Oh. And he called us in and went, guys, you can't compete with Garth. I'm really sorry. And we're just like we were that close <laughs> to having a song because Frequency was a massive movie at the time. Oh. And it's just like, oh, well, God, I mean, you, you know, you yeah. knew what you were doing and we, you know, you, you we just have to assume you control these things. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. We, I just, but that, that's another level though. I mean, to, to have a song 
in the top 20 on the pop charts and then not yeah receive anything and for you know, here's it? Oh here's here's what's really crazy so i don't know where i was where i was flying to or you know it was back when american airlines i don't know do they still do it do they still do magazines in the back of the uh-huh, thing yeah, and then they, they do it's all this stuff and in the back they say here is the music that's playing on channel 49 yep. mm, i remember that and mm-hmm. it's lisa bevel and joe pizzullo so i'm like sitting like that, that's me I'm rip that on it put that in my scrapbook i'm gonna frame it put it in my studio uh, so when did let's get into your christian music career then so okay you you go to la you do some session work no here's the thing i never moved I, well no i mean yeah right I, I went there to do that one session i came home and i never moved the pop thing falls apart yeah i just go back to doing session work and then Started working with Bob Farnsworth, thinking, Uh I'll do a pop thing here. But then God arrested my heart. I mean, just like, nope, you're not going to do that. I remember going to bed one night, and it felt like I had just drank a pot of 7 o'clock coffee. You know what I mean? Like 7 o'clock alarm coffee. Where God started speaking to my heart, going, I really don't want you to pursue pop. I really want you to sing for me. And I'm like. I don't want to because your music is hokey. <laughs> I mean, really, because that's all I heard. Yeah. I, listen, I had never heard of Amy Grant growing up. Uh, never. And we're the same age. Yeah. And maybe that's the reason why I didn't. That's wild. You know? um, now, I, I knew of other Christian bands, sort of, but if they don't come to your church, and we're talking about the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> if they don't yeah. come to your church, you really don't know about them. Oh, I get that. I didn't know. Like, I didn't know who the Imperials were yeah. until my mom took me to a concert in Waco. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until I heard Cynthia Clausen sing on an mm. album that my mom bought at a garage sale. Yeah. And she knew I was singing with the hairbrush and, you know, singing to Herring Carpenter on all those and went, oh, ooh, now she sounds like she's been through some stuff. Like, I hear pain and mm. I hear cry in her voice and i can relate to that like i like i like that but then i just kind of yeah whatever you know but when i had this experience with god i was like um i you know lord like like i want to hear something funky and hip and fun and it's got to say something and god's like i'm not promising you anything will you obey me Wow. If I tell you to obey me, will you obey me? Well, will you just make it cool? I'm not promising you anything. I'm just asking you to obey me. And will you obey me? And <clears throat> from that point on, it was like, okay. And I remember, I remember telling whoever I was working with at the time. And of course, I'm working with Chris Harris and Mark Heimerman mm-hmm. almost on a daily basis. Oh, wow. We are all doing jingles. Wow. Like that, you talking about some phenomenal jingle writers. Yeah. Oh, they guys. produced our. They produced on our first album. Yes. Yeah, Aren't they I awesome? Love them. Oh yeah. So so incredibly talented. Yeah. So when I so when I kind of told them what I'd been through, with that, you know, they said, "Well, let's do it." And it's like, "Well, who's your target audience?" And I'm like, "I really love the youth. Like, I really want to administer. I, I really yeah. want to minister the youth." Yeah. Or me, I'm my target audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah I want to do me. stuff that I like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my whole reason for wanting to target the youth was just from 
childhood issues. I had very ill parents growing up. Both of my parents died at 57 and 58. Oh, wow. So I've been without my parents since I was 24 and no grandparents either. So I know just, you know, there's just all these childhood issues of watching the most godliest people, Sunday school teacher, elder in the church, suffer horrific illnesses. And my dad, my dad dropped dead in my arms when I was 19. Oh my goodness gracious. It was very sudden and out of nowhere. Mm. And boy, it was so hard, but God used it for me to talk to the youth about loving themselves, loving their parents because you're not promised tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so that was my focus in Christian music. I really wanted, and especially young girls. Um, so then Chris and Mark began to write songs towards the youth. And kind of that's kind of how my career in Christian music was born. <laughs> and you had a you had a really nice career from oh, let's take a break here. Did you need to you need another Let cough me grab drop another or, cough drop, okay. yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> and just tell me if I'm talking this is too fun. much. No, this is amazing. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so fun. And it's so different from, from, uh, I got a lot of wild stories. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Old guy, drummer, and I'm over like, maybe we should, maybe we should re record <laughs> no, that. Nope. That's the good stuff. <laughs> I'm like, you can't be talking about the Paul's right now. You're incredible. All I'm thinking is, you're going to you even play the lick yeah. in the air know, in the air tonight. Yeah. And see, you know, for me, <clears throat> being a female singer, I'm not really paying attention to male singers. Yeah, he played the drums. Is he great? <laughs> I don't know because I'm not a drummer. You know, so I'm like, yeah, he's awesome. He's got a career, but what do I know? I know yeah. nothing. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's take it in. We'll pick it up where we left off. So we're we're about to talk about um, introduction into my in, in your yeah. Account. Okay, so three, two, one. So who did you end up signing with? What was your first like label contact? Did somebody come after you, or did hmm. did you shop a demo around? How no, did that work? Chris and Mark, New Brown Bannister. Mm -hmm. And I'm at that time, I may have worked for Brown here and there singing background on people's records, but we'd never gotten to sit down and have a conversation. So at that point in time, and I don't know if it was because of myself and Pray for Rain. Yeah. Pray for Rain. Yeah, PFR. So at that time, Brown was given his own record label, or there was a co adventure. It was called Vireo Records. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is a bird of some I sort. Have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> Webster's idea. Dictionary. Um, anyway, so so myself and Pray for Rain were gonna be the first artist on Vireo through Sparrow. Sparrow Records was the top uh -huh. and we were just like, And what year would that have been? Ninety two was when the first record came out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So things just kinda it all kind of felt like an experiment. You know, yeah. I didn't really know. It's like, do I really know what I'm doing? Like, I know what my heart is, but. Lisa, I don't think any of us did. No. <laughs> I, I think all of us were just going, 
whoa, I get to do this? Okay. Throw some spaghetti on the wall and see if it sticks. (laughs) We'll figure it out as we go. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, so 92, that first record comes out, My Freedom, Mm -hmm. and it was very different record. It's a fun record. It's a dangerous, it was a a dangerous record. (laughs) Yeah, those are the best kind. (laughs) I know, but the subject matter that Chris and Mark wrote about for me. Uh-huh. I'm like, ooh, ooh, I guess I should have thought about this more before we recorded. Like the song, it's going to be worth it, you know, to wait until marriage. Yeah. <laughs> for your, your sexual encounter. Yeah. You know, and then, um, and there's some other ones that just really cross the line. And I learned so much about. I don't know what the right word is, but the audi- the Christian audience was not ready to hear about the True Love Waits campaign mm. from a female. Interesting. They were, and I was the only female at the time that was on that very first campaign. Yeah. It's the guys from DC Talk, Mike W. Smith, I think maybe Stephen Curtis and myself, and man, did I get targeted. That's I mean, really it interesting was, and sad. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, so did you? It was radio in that kind of backlash, did or was it? Where was the backlash coming from? The backlash, not only the true love waits, but I think there there was a there was a perception with my record, which I now understand. It really pushed the envelope. Like, like I had a lot of uh, well, I saw a lot of letters written to the Sparrow management saying her picture on the front looks so sexual. And then the way she's singing on this song, she's so breathy and airy. Like I think, I think now this is being, okay, I'm so sorry for your audience, (laughs) but um, at that time, like Sparrow, they sent me, they sent me copies of all of the letters. I think I'm I'm like, why are you doing this? doing this? Yeah. I'm like, I didn't write these songs. I sang them, but I guess that's the same uh, thing. Your as name's on them, yeah. <clears throat> but they, you know, they were all complaints. And I'm kind of like, well, how are we going to hit the youth if we don't talk to them about the truth? Yeah. Now, I can't help the way I sound when I sound airy, you know? I'm like, I don't know. How you know, am I supposed to sing more country or, you know? But there was that. It was how you look, how you sound, how you come across. I mean, it was. It was really, and then the subject matter of the song. Yeah, I now that we talk about this, I do remember this about you. Like I remember this swirling around you, and um, what did you hear? Well, I don't <laughs> now. Just because you know we're we're in it, and yeah. We appreciate all the other artists and what they're doing, and you know, I, I mean, to me, but by, by the time we got, you know. We weren't involved in True Love Waits, but, you know, when we were at Point of Grace and, um, you know, again, I think we, we talked before about Nikki Leonti yeah. a little bit and uh, that whole thing that we were just, it's just part of the landscape. I mean, yeah. we wanted to talk about these things. Yeah. And, you know, when you're you're giving altar calls at your concerts or you're sharing the gospel where you go, these things always come up and mm-hmm. you have people coming to your concerts. You've got, you know, you've got... uh women come to your concert that are in abusive relationships. Oh yeah. They're, they want to talk to someone. You got, you know, girls that are struggling with, you know, uh, eating disorders, eating disorders and being pressured to do things that, 
you know, uh, we really saw that with the Point of Grace girls, how they just really connected with yeah. a whole demographic that was ready to yeah. talk to somebody. So uh, I do remember, I do remember vaguely some controversy <laughs> surrounding you, but it wasn't the enough for us to go, oh, well, she's, you know, she's a, she's a, she's a piece of work. Yeah. She's a, she's a troublemaker. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I do. There's, there's a feeling of that now that yeah. you mentioned that around, yeah. around your career. Yeah. yeah. And I've always been pretty outspoken and I've learned to be outspoken as a woman in the industry. But I'll tell you the greatest thing in my career came out of that record because, you know, when you're a brand new artist, you do your very first interview and you, you don't really know to watch what you say. Yeah. And you just kind yeah. of say everything. Yep. And it was, it was for Brio Magazine, which is you know, Focus on the Family Magazine for Girls. I mean, I, they asked me every question. I told them everything. And I had nothing to hide and wasn't ashamed of anything. And I just said, look, when, I, when, my, when my mom was diagnosed when, with cancer when I was 12, I thought about suicide from 12 until 26 years old. because. I wanted to escape. I needed to escape. I didn't know what I was escaping from. No, no counselors talking to me about my ill parents. And I, like I thought about it all the time. Now, meanwhile, I'm in the church three days a week. I'm playing piano for my church choir. I'm singing the church choir. I'm very involved in my youth group. But, you know, I just, I laid it out and just had horrible self-esteem. I, I, I thought about cutting myself. I didn't even know what cutting was, but I wanted to see what the blade of a knife would feel like across my wrist. And I understand now those hurt pains, you want to put them on the outside so you can tend to that wound. Mm. And it feels like you're tending to this wound so that this one becomes louder than this one. So I'm telling my, that whole story in a magazine article and then the letter. The letters from, I couldn't keep up. Like, it was like, oh my gosh, what is going on with, these are all Christian girls saying, I can't believe that you went through this because you look like you have it all together. You, you know, you look a certain way and you look like you're like the most popular girl. You're probably a cheerleader in high school. And, you know, I was none of that, you know. But what happened as a result of that, do you remember Brian Mason when he used to sure. have, okay, the Mix 92.9, mm-hmm. he used to have the, well, he used to have like a two and a half hour program, right? Right. right. So my first record, that first record comes out and we're kind of like halfway through the, the first hour. And I'm like, he, he's like, well, what else is going on? And I'm like, he goes, what, what, <laughs> do I, do hey, I share it or not? Yeah. And, yeah. and he said, he said, what do you want to do after this? So I'm telling him this story about the article and da, 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 da. And how I'm writing these girls back, but then they're all asking the same questions and I'm answering the same questions. And I put together a form letter and I'm like, this, this is just not enough. Like, like I have to do something bigger. And I said, you know, Brian, I said, I had this crazy idea. I thought about starting a girl's camp. And I, I don't know the first thing, like I am just throwing this idea out on the air. I've not wow. thought about this for oh, five no. minutes. Okay. You're committing yourself to something. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I said, yeah. I said, you know, it'd be for girls ages 15 to 18. They couldn't wear any makeup. They couldn't bring, you know, all this garb. It has to be just really 
clothes they bum around in. And, you know, we would learn how to sew because I love how I learned, love how to sew. <laughs> and um, it would just be, I would want these girls to love themselves, blah, blah, blah. Well, Brian's phone starts ringing, 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 lighting up. And people are going, oh, my gosh, I, I would give anything to have a camp like that. That would be so awesome. Then I'll, be, I'll come and be a volunteer camp counselor. I'll come and do this. I, and I'm like, okay, people, just chill out. <laughs> That's just, just an idea. That's just an idea. Nah, this is not going to happen. This is just an idea. <clears throat> but then the calls kept coming. Yeah. And the very last call he took was from a guy. And the guy said, he goes, if you have this camp, will you please give all of us godly guys all of these godly girls' phone numbers because that's the kind of women we want to marry. Oh, wow. Well, that ruined it for me. You know, Uh, I'm just like, oh my gosh. uh, So after that, now this is, I'm trying to think of when this was. This was probably February that I was doing this interview. By July, we were in camp. Like, I had my first camp. that's a fast turnaround. It was really fast. I I had a girl who was, helping with office stuff and fan mail and junk like that. And she just kind of coordinated all these people started contacting her and I'm like, no, we're not doing this for years, but it just, it just kind of exploded. What was it called? It was called place in the sun, which was the named after my, the funkiest Tommy Sims song on my first record called place in the sun. Yeah. Great tune. And I thought, what a great name for a summer camp, you know, But then when the girls started coming, and and we held it in Bowling Green, Kentucky at Gasper River Retreat, Mm -hmm. um, just an hour away, we had girls flying in, drive, we had two girls drive from Maryland. I mean, the girls came from everywhere. Wow. Um, And it changed my life forever because I got to meet my audience for longer than 15 minutes. I got to see them in their struggle. I got to hear their stories. And I'm telling you, these, these were girls that were raised in the church, but they'd been molested, um, arrested, abused, raped, cutting themselves. Like, like the, these girls were so wounded. And I mm. had no idea that's the kind of girls that were coming. Were you prepared? No. For... Like, <laughs> it sounds like that would have been an overwhelming week. I mean, I mean, we, we had, we learned so much. And I had 15 volunteer counselors yeah. who would stop their jobs for, you know, a long week. And we, but we planned for a whole entire, well, the first year was no planning at all almost. But the next year, <laughs> you know, it was, we did a full year of planning. Um, but we noticed very quickly, oh, whoa. There's a lot of girls here with eating disorders. And as soon as dinner's over, they're running up the hill. So we need to have bathroom buddies. And then, you know, okay, I'm like running, going through some of the bunks. I'm seeing pills laying different places. So many girls on so many different drugs for depression, that kind of thing. And I'm like, my gosh, thank God we have a nurse who's a nurse with us. But I'm like, I'm going to get sued. Like somebody's going to take one of these girls' pills and overdose, and I'm, you know, like they're going to die. On my, and they're minors, all minors. <laughs> wow. And um, so that next year, we, we had a plan in place of anybody who's got medication, checking their medication. It goes under lock and key. Yeah. Um, yeah Who we partnered had to, with you? I mean, you had to have had 
some ministries come in and partner with no, you? It was really? me. Christ Community, Scotty Smith, yeah. was our insurance umbrella uh-huh. because I was at that church. I'm telling you, we did not know what we were doing. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, you know, and a couple of times, yeah, nobody partnered with me. I mean, it was just, it was God. And of course, these 15 volunteer counselors who I couldn't have done anything with yeah. uh, without them. Um, several times, in fact, that very first year, I had a young girl who who came and she was 18, like this was going to be her one and only year to come. And I saw a lot of cigarette burns down her shins. And I said, what's going on? And she goes, well, this is what's going on. And then as the days got closer to an ending, she goes, please don't send me home. Please don't send me home. She goes, both of my parents abused me. And I'm like, what what do you say to that? I I mean, you know, at this point in my career, you know, my first record, I'm 27. I'm married and I have a child that's five years, no, three years old. Okay. So I'm a mom and I'm super sensitive to that. Plus this is the audience that God gave to me. So I call Nancy Alcorn at Mercy Ministries. And I'm like, what do I do? Because I don't want to send this young girl back into an abusive situation. What do I do? And she goes, well, she goes, if you can take her home with you for two weeks, I'll have space for her in two weeks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So I did. Wow. I took her home with me. And towards the end of that was when... um I saw a little red pill on the carpet in the room that she was staying in. I'm like, I got, I got little, a little bitty baby and I can't, like this yeah. can't go on. So I just said, you know, I can't have drugs in my home. So, you know, we need to get you placed. I love you, you know, but you got you to gotta go. So, so, and luckily it was time for her to go into Mercy Ministries. Um, Anyway, so, you know, so that camp went on for four years. Wow. We did that every summer. I mean, it was like a Wednesday through a Saturday. And did that start to take the momentum from your recording career and touring career more towards that? End? Yes. And it, it, it kind of it totally changed my music, too, because I felt such a huge responsibility. Sure. To um, be more serious. Like, it is such a gift to meet your audience and really hear them instead of five minutes of, of ministry. If you even get that much right. after a concert, right, right, right. It, it changed my life forever. Yeah. And what's so beautiful is that a lot of those girls are still in my life. Like, oh, that's incredible. They're mamas. Yeah. And they've got kids graduated from college. Some kids have gotten married. A couple of girls have lost their husbands. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so I made an intention after that first record, to have a song on every one of my records that was specifically and only meant for them. Hmm. And it was dedicated to them on each one of the records. So it, it, it made me take things a whole lot more serious, um, just about what I was doing and not be so, I don't know, like the first record. That's, right. that's why things changed. You know, well, you said musically. it earlier, you know, you did that first record and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, yeah. I'm just making a record because it's what I'm, you know, because yeah. I can. And then amazing how God had that all set up for you. Yeah. And you took the heat early on yeah. for 
something you just felt in your heart you wanted to do, yeah, but didn't really think it through, yeah, and it just shows you how and God wins, yeah, God's always going to win, yeah, and even if we don't even know what direction we're going, God's like, I know, yeah, I'm and, there with you, yeah, and I think the I think that the honesty in the article and then the funkiness of the music the that's that's what drew the crowd it was that combo you know of hey she sounds like us she looks a certain way but yet she went through all this i can relate yeah. to that they didn't see someone who had it all together yeah you know so i've so. always heard that i've always heard that for every mile of road there's 2 miles of ditch and i oh, think boy, i think right. that I, when I think about this, your scenario, and I, I have so many people that I know that, that have similar stories, that it's that narrow road we're always trying to stay on, right? Yeah. And on the left is the enemy who's trying to trying to push you off that road oh, or yeah. say, hey, take the, take the wide road over here. It's much easier. Yeah. But what we don't realize is on the other side is it's a religious, you know, it's that, it's that established relig- relig- religiosity and that says we don't want anything that's hard we don't want anything that's challenging yeah come over here where it's safe yeah and you know to be able to look back and say i i i i traveled that narrow road as best i could i think it's a real testimony to what you know listening to god and going okay god i don't this is tough right now yeah i don't like these letters coming in i don't yeah i i remember just the few negative letters we got you Y'all know? got negative letters? Oh, of course. Every artist did. About what? Well, I don't remember. <laughs> I didn't hold on, on to them. The they went in the trash. But, <laughs> you know, you do. You, because people just, they want to find fault. Oh, They're yeah. Just people that are like they that. They need to pick. People right. need to and pick. And that's on the you. religious side of things. Yeah. The, the, religious, the religious side of, uh, in that ditch, they want to pick you apart. Yeah. And I think that's a tool of the enemy as well. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that's just really, really cool. I, I, I didn't know that part of your story. And so I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, so when you, so as your career progresses, like I know that your artist career didn't continue, but your, your, your ministry with True Love Weights and, and with what you're doing with, with these camps did. Yeah. So where did you go? Like, like take me on the progression of the next 10 years. Oh goodness! (laughs) So, um, so I will say that the last record in ninety, gosh, what, what, what year was that? I think ninety six, ninety eight. I'm not sure. Um, that's when the secular music companies started buying up Christian labels. Oh yeah, I remember it well. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like um, it's like Seagram's bought word maybe or oh gosh i didn't remember that yeah it was seagram's bought one of them zomba bought um (coughs) bought benson wow and uh yeah that was yeah that was a big deal yeah it changed everything oh it totally changed everything and i just remember hearing the news that now my now my contract with sparrow was up anyway Mm -hmm. um but they said what I heard that the grapevine was that if your artists are not selling a hundred thousand units or more, cut them. Yeah. We don't care if they have ministries or whatever, cut them, you know? Right. And I fell in that category. And, but my last record was the most successful record I'd had, yeah. you know? And then I got some little plaque or something for having the number one song where I was co-writer from, for the song called turn in love. And I just thought, well, this is, 
comedic. You know, I'm like, yeah. you know. Hey, we but, were even told, even with the success that we had, we were told by um, somebody our lab- at high, high up in our label, we're not about we're not about building artists. We're about selling records. <laughs> and we were like, hang on a second. How yeah. do you how do you sell records if you don't build the artist? I mean, it was yeah. so backwards, but it was it was all bottom line at yeah. that point. It wasn't. You know, I think the last the last. Uh, label that really stood up to all that was Pharaoh. I mean, they were still just that 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 Billy Ray Hearn, that legacy <laughs> just can you know yeah um, about we're 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 about the artist and their ministry more than we're all about the sales. But eventually, that doesn't yeah that doesn't last either. Yeah, yeah, it was all really really sad. And and you know, so so for me, like during the years that I was a Sparrow artist. For me, luckily, when I wasn't on the road, I'm still singing jingles. I'm still singing background on all these different artists, you know, records. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, I'm feeling and sensing and hearing the temperature at every level. I'm hearing the producers talk in the studio about, rah, rah, yeah. budget, <laughs> you know, and yeah. then, you know, you, you're so, so I'm like, wow, this industry is interesting well napster's on its way yeah napster's on the way <laughs> streaming's on the way itunes yeah. is on the way file sharing file share, huh? <laughs> yeah it's gonna change drastically yeah yeah it was really really interesting and i just remember i just remember coming home and thinking to myself wow that was it that's it huh. my career is over you know and i cared a little bit but I was very relieved. Wow. I was very relieved because I found, I found through the years, like I love singing background. I love doing jingles. I love doing something different every day. For me, it got a little bit of drudgery of singing my top five to 10 songs every night. Mm. To where I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to get to the people. I just want to talk to the people. Like that, that was, that was a bonus for me. <laughs> if there was time to talk to the people yeah. and to, and to, and oh my gosh, if there were a couple of young girls that wanted to talk to me, that was heaven for me. That's just where my heart was. Wow. That's really cool. Um, but, but then I also found, and I don't know how, I don't know if you guys found this as well. But for me, being a one singer, female person, I didn't have a band to banter mm-hmm. or, or other guys to, to talk with. So I found dealing with the promoters and some of the pastors so daunting. And draining. Draining. Yeah. Because, because it was, okay, Lisa, you talk too much during your show. You, you just sing. Just entertain yeah. us. Yeah. Then if I would do that, the pastors would go, well, we didn't get to know you. We didn't get to know your testimony. Why didn't you talk about yourself? I'm like, I can't please you people. You know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> it's, uh, the, <laughs> it's the, the business. <laughs> when you have to be the artist and the the manager yeah. in that situation, that is so difficult. And you're right. It's hard. I, I tried being a solo artist after the for him was winding down and I hated every second of it. Yeah. I love the music I created, but you know, Having those other three guys on stage with me yes. to share the load, not just for a concert, but the pressure yeah. of 
of the tour and the singles and the and just the, everything that comes along with it being away from home you, uh, you had these people yes. around you that were brothers that understood what yeah. we all were going through and i just yeah i don't I don't know how you did it as a solo artist. I, I don't. It's, I don't it's a mystery either. to me. I, like, I, I think about driving to the airport at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. I've got my suitcase and my merchandise in one of those hard shell suitcases that weighs a ton. Yep. And it's pouring down rain, and I'm in the, mm-hmm. the long-term parking, and I'm like, what am I doing? It's like, a lonely life, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. It is so, it's so lonely. And, you know, I, I, at this point in time, like, I've been in every state. I've been in multiple foreign countries and I'm like, every small town looks just like every single yep. small town, every, fo- and they, and, and even the foreign countries, the language is different and mm-hmm. the food is different, Yeah, but it's all the same. It's yeah. all kind of the, all the same thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, you hop off the bus, you do a concert, you hop back on the bus. You never knew you were in that city. Yeah. People go. Oh, don't you just love Seattle? Did you go to this? Did you go to, to you know, Pike Place? Did you go to the the Needle? I'm like, no. Yeah. No, I literally went to the hotel, took a shower, went to the venue, got on the bus, went to Portland. Yeah. Oh, when you were in Portland, did you get, no, sure didn't. No. <laughs> yeah, I know nothing. I didn't right even know I was there. Yeah, right after that, we went to Walla Walla, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's the life. And yeah, 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 I get it. Totally get it. Yeah. Well, so tell me what you're doing now. What's what's keeping you busy these okay, days? Okay, so you may or may not know. Um, well, let me back up for a second. So after after the whole Sparrow thing ended, mm-hmm. I kind of I kind of took two years off <coughs> from even thinking about doing. It. Now I'm working, still working in the industry, but then I felt God call me to do another record, and I'm like, I don't want to do another. record. I'm not asking you if you want to. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you to record your music. I'm like, (laughs) why do I need to record my music? I don't want to be an artist. I have no desire. And and my thing has always been when God's asked me to do something, I feel like I have this huge, massive thumb in the middle of my back. Wow. And God is like, I'm not gonna take my thumb off your back until you do what I say. Uh (laughs) So I made a record, and that was just a self-titled record, and then. Gosh, I think that was in 2000. Then in 2008, God did the very same thing. I want you to record your music. I don't want to record my music. I, you, know, you know, so I did another record. But that's also the year that I got bit by a tick that destroyed my life. Lyme's disease. Yes. Wow. So, um, so I barely made it to the printers with that project. And it's called When the Healing Comes. Oh, <laughs> Go figure. Oh, wow. Um, and I didn't even write the song about that. But, um, and life just started crumbling down. And I'm telling you, you have never felt pain until you have felt the pain from Lyme disease. Oh, goodness. So for me, so it's been a 14-year journey, and I'm still in it. Um. I've been, I've had every test, every specialist. I found an amazing doctor who all he treats is Lyme disease mm-hmm. in Missouri. Um, so every five months I had to travel to Missouri to see him because I was on some of the heaviest duty narcotics a person can be on. We all know the word fentanyl now. So I was on 275 micrograms of fentanyl through a patch system that got changed every three days 
And I still, and now I will tell you, I mean, you might not know. People in the medical world go, you were on that and you were still walking around. That's what I, mean, I was going to ask. What was your daily life like? Yeah. So that's what they give people who are at the very end of their life dying of cancer. Oh, yeah. Well, one of my, one of our best friends oh, passed really? away of cancer about 10 years ago. And that was what, the only thing that yeah. gave her any relief. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was on that and then I was also on some other heavy duty drugs for the breakthrough pain. Uh-huh. And I, my doctor and I kind of figured out I'm dealing with intractable pain, which means pain that nothing kind of cuts through because the nerves, the disease is attacking the nerves. Mm. So one of my very first symptoms was burning electrical uh, nerve pain, yeah, yeah. which if you've ever had a TENS unit, like on your muscles, like through the chiropractor, yeah. you know, it's kind of, uh-huh. uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh. if you can imagine that on stun and every minute of every day, wow. it, it, it nearly, I kind, I kind of equate it to God allowed me to dangle on the last thread of the hem of his garment. And it was, you know, pulling. Yeah. Like I felt like my sanity was being tested. And here, so here's what's really bizarre. Um, the my very first night of my first symptom, I I, I was woken up like at two thirty in the morning, and I thought there was a storm outside because I I thought I was hearing thunder or something, and I just all of a sudden went, oh, like I woke up and this had this shooting pain in my neck and it went down my arm like your arm is asleep yeah and i was like oh my gosh and i woke my husband and i said something's wrong something's wrong and i just remember looking over at the wall we had this short little wall on the side of my bed and i all of a sudden was transported somewhere different i saw like a little movie still of from the passion of the christ it was Christ on the cross, and his head was down really low, but the thorns were really overpronounced. And I'm getting ready to suffer. Like I felt it wow. in my spirit, huh. and I felt God speak to me, You're getting ready to suffer. And I know about it, but I'm here, and I'm going to be with you, but you're going to suffer. I'm like, why? Like, you know, what's this? Now, I had no idea I'd been bitten by a tick yet. So I got bit in Minnesota. I went to go visit one of my camp girls. I got bit. Her dogs were jumping in and out of an above ground pool, yeah. and she lived in rural Minnesota. Yeah. And that's so it was a process of just elimination of going, where did I get bit? How did this happen? You know, um, but I'm telling you, the suffering, the suffering, I would take anybody's worst surgical pain times 10 any day over what I've experienced over 14 I can't years. Imagine. I can't oh. tell you how many times I've been in the ER thinking I was having a heart attack. Yeah. Because Lyme attacks, loves to live in the cartilage, loves to attack the cartilage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just crazy crazy bizarre symptoms so from that 
I, I, you know, for a year, I went on a years long search going to every doctor. And then I started developing like this white coat syndrome where I would start seeing a doctor and I'm just, <laughs> then I start having panic attacks. I'm like, yeah. what's happening to my body? I'm not in control of my body. So I'm, on, I'm, so I'm just kind of going along for a year, you know, trying to figure things out. I'm like, okay, I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is. And I had a really great friend, Jeff Nelson. Do you know Jeff Nelson? Uh-huh. Yes. Great producer, engineer, sweet, sweet man. He goes, look, he goes, do you remember that girl I was telling you about? She wanted you to sing back on her record so much. Would you be willing to just, I know you're not feeling great and we, we will stop everything if, you'll, if you're feeling bad and we can just cancel, right? I said, okay, Jeff, but I'm telling you, I'm, this is, this is going to be really hard for me. And I was feeling a little better, but I was heavily medicated. Yeah. So I go to sing and I'm like, oh, gosh, that sound pretty good. Like I was starting to, hadn't been in the studio for a year, you know, and I'm singing good and I'm singing really hard and really loud and, and we're kind of cutting up and having fun. And all of a sudden I feel this, just this cool feeling come over my head and over my body and I kind of get the chills and I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, it's lunchtime. I got a little dizzy. I thought, I better, I better get some lunch, you know? I said, hey, can we stop for about 30 minutes? I said, you have some cheese or you know, just yeah. some kind of protein? <laughs> he goes, yeah, let's go downstairs. Let's take a break. And, you know, so, so I come back and I'm feeling okay. Not feeling great, but I'm feeling okay. We finished the session. I mean, this is like a three to four hour session, you know, where I'm singing on everything. And I'm feeling good. Well, I, the, later on the day, I start feeling, wow, I feel like I'm having a lot of heartburn. Feeling, and I knew I kind of had a little bit of a sliding hiatal hernia and heartburn, you know, those <laughs> old age things. Anyway, so um, the next morning I woke up and I went, "Oh my gosh, Jeff, my head! Oh my gosh, something's wrong with my head!" And I, my chest was feeling really, really weird. And I said, "I think we got to go to the ER. Something's really weird. Something's really wrong." So go to the ER. So how long was this into your Lyme disease? This was. This this was a year later, but see, it, I didn't know I had Lyme disease until oh, okay. like year two. Okay. 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 So, um, so they're running all these tests. And they're like, okay, we got a hernia. Oh, yeah, that's probably it. But you know what? We're just gonna we're gonna do a a CT scan with dye and just check and make sure because you have every symptom of a heart attack. You know, cause my jaw was hurting, my back mm-hmm. shoulder, but you know. So we kind of wait. I'm going with this test, and I come back, and I'm just expecting, you know, go home. And all of a sudden, all these doctors start, well, a doctor and nurse and few people start coming in. And the hospitalist goes, Lisa, you've got blood clots sitting on both of your lungs. You should be dead. They said, there is no way. They said, you haven't been traveling? You haven't been? Like, like they, they were baffled. Yeah. And they started shooting me up with heparin in my stomach and filling an IV. And they said, we have to admit you and start watching you and taking blood. You know, and I'm like, blood clot? What? What What'd you just say? They just said, based on what you told us you did the day before, you really should be dead. Like, this, these should have dislodged and gone to your heart. They should have dislodged and gone to your brain. Like, I don't know how you're here right wow. now. 
And I'm like, and so when they said the word blood clots, I'm like, that's what my dad died from, was blood clots to his lungs. But now he'd had surgery two weeks prior on his knees, but he was still 57. Anyway, so that just, that was just, Terrifying. That was terrifying. Yeah. And the and the doctor said to me, he goes, Have you bitten? Have you been bitten by a tick or a spider recently? And I said, Well, wouldn't I know? Like, w- wouldn't I know that? Yeah. You, it would, itch, you would have it, found a tick on you somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but you know, ticks can be on the back of your scalp and bite you and you never know it. True. They can be behind your knee and you never know it. They can be in your privates, they can be in yeah. an arm, you know. Um and he should have right then and there tested me for Lyme disease. But, you know, when you're in ER, they're not yeah. there to run tests on you. They're just yeah. like, here's a Band-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> but that started a long, long year. I spent six and a half years with a doctor in Missouri. I went through 17 different oral antibiotics. Then I moved on to injections. And then I moved to a PICC line for four and a half months. Oh, goodness. And, you know, I don't know if you know what a PICC line yeah. is, but it mm-hmm. you know, goes into the arm and it goes to the vena cava. Mm-hmm. So that the antibiotics can then just flood the body. And that was kind of like my savings grace. But that was, that was six and a half years of intense treatment. And I still wasn't a thousand percent. And my doctor told me, he goes, listen, he goes, I know the antibiotic world. He goes, after me, you've got to go see a clinical herbalist who can treat the parasite the bacteria, other things that antibiotics don't touch. Right, right, right. Like you got to do herbals. Yeah. So I found a guy, there's a guy here in Nashville. I've been working with him since 2007, um, 2015. But it wasn't until 2017. This is you know, from 2008, 2017. He, he, he calls me and he goes, hey, the CDC just released a, a news, news briefing that they have found a strain of Lyme, there's 30,000 people up in the Dakotas, the Minnesotas, and somewhere else. They all have this particular strain. And he goes, I'm, I could almost bet money this is your strain, and this is what the culprit is. And sure enough, so he tested me for it, and it was my strain. Because I got bit in Minnesota. Right. You know? Yeah. So he, so he started treating me with you know for that kind of thing with through herbals and whatnot and i got tremendously better and then all of a sudden a year ago last september i started feeling like i'm having a heart attack having a heart attack. i get tested through blood and through my herbalist and i've tested positive for lyme again how is that possible i said how, how, I, yeah and he goes i've never seen lyme do this like he goes i don't understand this and i said so you thought i was clean and clear of it, but it's been in hiding. And that's, that's so tricky about Lyme. When you're treating it, it goes into hiding and it loves to look for scar tissue where there's little to no blood mm. flow, you know, so it can hide and, fascinating. you know, yeah, it is fascinating. And trust me, I could write a book. Oh, I'm sure you could. I, I mean, could you probably should. <laughs> anyway, you asked me, what have I been doing? Yeah. <laughs> I've been, been trying sur- to stay alive. You've been man. surviving. <laughs> wow. But. Man, I hate that you've had to go through that. It, yes, me too. And I still ask God, man, why the suffering? But I've been able to help a lot of people. I do a lot of advocacy now on our Tennessee Lyme support page of helping people get the right test, 
go to the right doctor because there are some shenanigans and bad doctors out there. Oh, it's too bad. Who look at the Lyme people as the new cash cow. So anyway, that's what I've been doing. I really don't do music anymore. I mean, and here's part of the reason why. You mentioned Russ Taff back a little while. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as soon as I graduated from college and did this Sergio Mendes thing, I went right on the road with David Meese. And he was opening for Russ Taff. Then I hopped tours and I started working with Russ Taff. And he was on the Amy Grant Unguarded and Straight Ahead tours. And I was having a blast. So then Russ has these Bell Buckle weekends that he does Uh in Bell Buckle, Tennessee. And um, I guess they had a singer that they'd been using kind of fall out. And they were, Larry Hall called me and goes, you know, could you come and sing backgrounds? I'm like, well, I know every one of those songs. I'll come and (laughs) sing backgrounds. And I thought, oh, this is such a great way to kind of get back into the industry or just get into some little form of it, you know, and have fun. But 30 minutes after st- stepping off that stage, I told Jeff, you're going to take me to the ER. Like, I feel like I'm having a heart attack again. Oh. And I realized, now, I don't know what all Lyme does to the body, the mm-hmm. nervous system, the adrenaline. And singing uses your whole body people don't realize yes you're like you're you're embracing and then you're letting go Mm -hmm. and i don't i don't know if there's some type of scientific thing for when adrenaline is high and it lets down yeah is it a chemical thing where is it going but it felt like i'd been in a horrific car wreck when 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 my body was relaxed Mm -hmm. my body goes i'm going to show you what you just put me through you're clapping, you're dancing around, you're having fun, and you're moving like you don't move. And you're also singing hard, and you can't hear yourself, so you're singing loud. And, and I just realized, I can't, I can't do this anymore. This, this is causing me severe pain. And it just, it just kind of just yanked the life out of me, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to God for the time that I had. Um. But, you know, God is moving me on to different things. What those things are, I don't know. And, like, I love art. Like, that was my first love, even before music. And God is taking me more into an artistic realm. I don't know what it will be yet, but I'm halfway there, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I, can I pray for you? Yes, I would I mean, love I that. I know you've probably had thousands of people pray for you. But I take all I the just, prayers I can get. And yeah. I'm so grateful. And listen, I don't want anybody to think that I am whining. Oh, no, we can tell. You're, you're a trooper through all this. God, you have great God, attitude. God has done so much. And I wouldn't even known when you walked in here no. that you've been doing this. No. Incredible. Well, you know, nobody wants to hear about Lance here. Let's talk about your ailments. How's your hips? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening. Join me every Monday for new stories from the Christian music industry and beyond. If you want more content like this, along with a lot of great music, join me for Worship with Andy Christman, airing on 500 stations around the world every weekend. And when you get a sec, run over to my website, andychristman.net, for information about my professional vocal coaching and an incredible new resource for worship pastors called The Worship Table. See you next time on the One Degree of Andy podcast.